When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Pete Buttigieg, and this is The Deciding Decade. I've thought a lot about shared purpose in the Trump era, how we've seen so many people come together in electoral and political coalitions, of course, but also people across industries and sectors across this country and the world. And one group that has had an enormous impact on the election and on national conversations around equal pay, social and racial justice and more is athletes. From the U.S. women's soccer team fighting for equal pay to LeBron James more than a vote organization, registering and turning people out to vote, there are so many inspiring athletes out there who are standing up, stepping out, and using their platforms for good. Today, we're going to hear from one of them. Renee Montgomery is a member of the Atlanta Dream basketball team, winner of multiple WNBA championships and an NCAA championship, and founder of the Renee Montgomery Foundation, You may have heard about her as the leader of the UConn Huskies' perfect 39-0 national championship winning season in 2009, or as one of the key players on the Minnesota Lynx, the Connecticut Sun, and the Atlanta Dream WNBA teams. Or you may have heard about her as a player who opted out of the 2020 WNBA season, which would have been her 12th in the league in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and the ensuing protests 
to focus on social justice initiatives. She has inspired so many for the stand that she has taken in the service of racial and social equity. And she's educating all of us on the importance of activism across industries and communities, as well as the power that boldness, courage, and sacrifice can have. Renee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Mayor Pete. <laughs> I'm so excited to be able to have this conversation. You know, South Bend, Indiana is very proud of the tradition of women's athletics here, including uh, one of our native sports heroes, Skylar Diggins-Smith, who I know yeah. you've faced off with many times. It's also been always very important in, in this community that athletes be outspoken. But uh, I also know that, that that's not always what folks are expecting. So one of the first things I want to ask you is, how it's felt since you've decided to take this stand, decided to use this time and make this sacrifice. What are you finding in terms of people's readiness for your voice talking about these issues of racial justice and equity that are so important? You know, I think when the pandemic hit, I don't think people were ready to hear athletes' voices. I think that people were ready for athletes to be athletes. I think people wanted athletes to almost save us from our current situation in a sense of we want to take athletics and we want to watch you guys play and we don't want to hear about anything else. And so I think that it was twofold when I when I opted out, the fans were confused about, well, why can't you do both? And and then there were other people that were like, good, if you're going to opt out, I don't want to hear about it. So I'm glad you're opting out anyway. Having done it now and being in this space. I feel very comfortable in it. You know, I feel very comfortable because I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I feel like I'm taking a stand for the right thing on, on the right side of history. So for me, it's been very fulfilling. I'm very excited to talk to you about Georgia in, in a moment. But first, I want to rewind and, and go to West Virginia, where you grew up. You've mentioned in interviews that you grew up surrounded by people who didn't like you, even uh, being the only black student in all white school. And I'm curious how you navigated that environment and how you think that might have shaped your activism and, and your understanding of where you fit in the world today? Yeah. You know, I navigated that space by humor. I started making jokes about Black History Month before it came and not about the things that happened. I, I started being like, okay, guys, I know Black History Month's coming up, but you guys are still allowed to talk to me during it. You know, like I had to try to just kind of, you know, take the edge off of it because all of my classmates, they were my friends and they all would be like on Black History Month, like we used to joke all the time in class. And then they would be like, you know, really serious because of the topics of Black History Month, slavery and different things of that nature. They wanted to make sure that they didn't offend me and they wanted to make sure that they weren't rude. And But in turn, as a kid, it was awkward because I was the only one that they were that way with. So I think that's where I, I started to realize, you know, using humor as a as a way to lighten the mood and also just navigating a space where I'm the only one that's different and understanding a different perspective than my own. So I would say West Virginia, you know, they that that really taught me how to look at things from a different light. And even having been submerged in HBCU culture because of my parents and my sisters, I still in the class setting was different. So Connecticut is a very different place from West Virginia, but uh, another place where uh, I'm sure very often you, you felt this sense of difference. How did things change when you got to UConn? You know, UConn, I had a more of an inner circle of, you know, the athletes were typically minority. <laughs> just that's just kind of how it went. The football players, the basketball players, my teammates, we had white people on our team as well as black people, but there was a more, more of a mixture. And that's who I hung out with. It was more comfortable for me, but it was different too, because here I come from the country and I'm going to Connecticut, which if anybody doesn't know, UConn women's <laughs> basketball is like 
rock stars. They're epitome of women's college sports. They are the mecca. And I went from country roads to that. So I, I think it was, I got really used to being uncomfortable. I would just say that like just throughout my whole upbringing, I got used to being uncomfortable because at UConn, I didn't know if I was going to be good enough because I'm coming from West Virginia. So that was a whole different thing. Um, but yeah, I just got very comfortable in uncomfortable spaces. Not only were you good enough, you wound up leading the team to a 39-0 and season. What, what was that season like? And, and how did you know uh, when you really did not only determine that you could measure up, but, uh, but really could be a leader for your teammates? Well, that season was terrifying. So that, <laughs> I, let me just tell you why. When, when you go to UConn, the first thing I tell when, – when I tell people, oh, yeah, I played at UConn, they're like, oh, how many championships did you win? Like that's the first question they ask. It's not did you win, it's how many. <laughs> So the fact that I only won one at UConn, that's like, that's about the bare minimum you could do. Only so one. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. So, so this was my senior year. So this was my last chance to win a championship or be one of the only teams in UConn history to never all four years not win one. So I was scared the whole season, wanted it to go perfect. And then when, even when the buzzer went off, like we were up by a lot and I had to wait until the buzzer went off to celebrate. So yeah, I would say that season, it was very rewarding at the end, but I was a nervous wreck the whole time. So then you're recruited into the WNBA. You have this incredible career on the professional side. What was that adjustment like going from from college ball to a place like UConn uh, into the WNBA? As we just talked about, I went undefeated my senior year, got you know point guard of the year, the Nancy Lieberman Award, and we're on top of the world. And then I start to hear that I'm going to drop really low in the draft because I'm too small. And, and because, you know, yeah, I was playing at UConn, but it's UConn. So everybody playing at UConn is good. And that started to be the chatter for my drafting. And so, you know, they were saying I could go anywhere from first to 10th and maybe drop below that. So I was, again, uncomfortable, nervous. Uh, I couldn't control any of that. So I was just kind of waiting to see. I didn't want to be one of those people on draft night just sitting in the chair like, yeah, does anybody want me? Ended up getting drafted number four. And so I was comfortable with that. You know, I, w- I would have loved to be in higher, but I guess I'm number four. So I, I, it was, you know, and then I went to a Minnesota team where, again, this is a different type of area for me. Minnesota never been there. Don't know anyone there. So I would just say my whole career, I just got really used to adjusting on the fly and just being being comfortable wherever I'm placed. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. 
on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. So fast forward now to spring 2020. The murder of George Floyd is a shockwave throughout the country and throughout the world, and it affects you and changes the course of, of your life and your story. Did that happen right away? Was it a process? And, and who did you talk to as you were discovering your own ability to respond to this, not just the murder of George Floyd, but everything that that, that unlocked in our country's conversations about racial injustice? Yeah, you know, that sparked a lot. Because I, I remember for a while there, I didn't even watch the video. Like I, it was on the news and every time it was on the news, I'm looking away because it's just like, that's just not something I couldn't believe it was playing on the news and that someone really was murdered that way. And so I think a lot had to do with it. The pandemic, you know, I was at home. Normally I'm on a flight twice a week, minimum flying different places. I'm all over the place trying to keep up. And then during the pandemic, we're all just still and we're all settled. And I'm just looking at it like, what is going on? And not that I didn't know it was going on before, but this is blatant. This is bad. We have a murderer looking into the camera, not caring that he's killing someone. So we always knew it was there, but that level of boldness was scary to me. And it was scary to a lot of people because here in Atlanta, protests broke out all over. Like protests was bro broke out all over the city. And I was nervous just because I had never seen that level of civil unrest. Like I was like, wow, this is, you know, I'm in one of the areas where the protests were actually happening. And so I called my parents and there was there was nervous energy in my voice. I know they heard it. And my, my mom, my snook was 
she was so calm and she was just like, oh, don't worry, baby. That's just what people do when they don't feel heard. They have to make themselves felt. And I mean, she just said it so casually. And the way that she was calm and how casual she was made me interested. Like it was, I was like interested in like, wait, do you see? I'm like, turn on the news. And I'm trying to tell them like, turn on the news. They're right here. Like they're literally in my city. Turn on the news. Like it's crazy what's going on down here. They're still living in West Virginia. And she just was just so chill. And then she started to tell me about being in, uh, in Detroit during the Detroit riots. And then she tried to tell, she told me about how she was in a walkout at her own high school. And I'm sitting here mind blown because I just didn't even know that about my own mom. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a wake up call that everything that I thought was important and all the things that I was rushing to do all the time, like it made me just take a second and, and look at things. Why do you think you and your mom hadn't talked as much about her activism before this moment, Ken? That is a good question. You know, I think my parents tried to shield us in a way. I'm one of those people, especially me. My sisters probably knew it, but I'm the baby of the family, just to put it in perspective. So I'm the youngest of two older. I have two older sisters and I've always been this bubbly and this optimistic. And I feel like they just kind of wanted to keep me there. I'm not I I wasn't ignorant to it. So they kind of they gave me talks and I already knew like racism existed. I knew all about it. But no, we didn't go as in depth as we did on that conversation. Do you think you can be optimistic? and retain that and be awake to all of the horrors that are going on at the same time? How do you balance those two things? That's a struggle. I think that for me personally, the way I balance it is because I've been in some not great situations before, you know, and I've just, I I think the way you get through situations better is you stay optimistic. I'm optimistic about where we're going. I think we're not there yet. I think that I'm super excited that we're talking about it now. I'm excited that Companies are actually acknowledging the word representation. Like what? Like that used to be a myth. People used to be like, oh, what are you talking about? The qualified person needs to get the job. Now you see large corporations using words like representation and having women are at the highest points. And I'm not even talking about madam vice president. I'm talking about all over. Women are getting their highest positions at their job at a time like this. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm optimistic. I don't think that things are fixed, but I think being optimistic helps you approach things better. And your mother's words about the difference between being heard and being felt. Can you explain that a little bit? What does that mean to you? And how do you put that into action? You know, she was saying that there's lip service and then there's action. And a lot of people associate action with negativity. And I was like, you know, I don't think like, again, me being, you know, optimistic Oprah, I'm just like not thinking that I'm thinking, okay, action means like, don't just talk about it, be about it. So that kind of prompted my mind, like, well, what is, what is my making it felt? Like, that's what I started to think about. Like, okay, I have a platform. I know being in the WNBA, I have a, a, a platform. I have people that follow me, not just because of who I am, but they like the sport that I play and they just, they, they like maybe me as a whole. So I'm like, how can I use that and make it felt? And so opting out wasn't what I was thinking about at the time. And she didn't even, uh, side note, my parents, Right when I told them I wanted to opt out, they were like, think about it, pray on it, take some time. So they weren't the ones necessarily, they weren't encouraging me to opt out, but they told me they would support me if I did. Uh, but for me, it just felt right. I, I felt like there was a moment going on, different moment than my, my snook told me it was different than her civil rights movement. This is a different time like known before. And I was like, I want to be feet on the ground, boots on the ground. Like I want to be here for it. And so that's kind of what prompted me to opt out. Like that was my making it felt. That was 
I could say that I'm interested in this and I want things to change. But when I opt out and say I'm that interested in this and I'm that serious about it, people feel it. You know, a lot of the biggest, most important decisions in my life, I feel like by the time I arrived at the decision, by the time I was ready to tell anybody about it or, or knew that it was there, it almost felt like I'd made that decision a while ago. Like I'd already settled into it without even fully knowing yet. Is that how this felt? Or was there a moment when you thought, I got to do this? Oh, absolutely. People think I just woke up, typed the tweet and sent it. <laughs> like, I think people think that's how it happened. Um, it's not how it happened. I, I knew for probably a week and a half, two weeks before I actually told everyone, I knew that I was going to opt out. Um, I think at that time, I still had a month before I had to opt out. Like you had to make a decision at a certain point, the WNBA set a deadline. I still had a month. And so my parents were like, all right, well, you still have a month. Take some time. Like I said, they told me to pray on it, think on it. And then if you still feel that same way, opt out. And so I took about a week and a half and just was thinking about it. I called my head coach, um, talk to my family, just talk to the people close to me, just to bend their ear. Like, am I crazy? Like, what, like, what do y'all feel? Like, am I crazy? What do y'all think about this? And everyone told me I wasn't crazy, even my head coach. And so that kind of solidified it for me. She was the last call um, that I made. And I called my agent, I called everyone and just letting them know, because I knew that that would affect them. And my coach was like, you know, it's just, it's not the best situation for me being your coach and you're going to opt out. But she's like, I get it. You know, just as a citizen living here in America, I get it. And so like, even just hearing her say that, that made me so much more comfortable when a coach gives you a contract and takes a, I, I call it betting on you. I don't want to like let anyone down. So just hearing her being okay with it, that made me feel very comfortable. So then I sent the tweet out and I had already been thinking about it for a week and a half, so I was already sound in my decision. It wasn't any going back after that. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. All of these issues are close to home in another way, which is professional. Because as we see this Georgia Senate race, one of them is between Democrat Raphael Warnock and Republican Kelly Leffler, who just happens to co-own the Atlanta Dream WNBA team that you play on. And after the WNBA announced that the upcoming season would be dedicated to social justice and that the opening weekend's games would be centered on the Black Lives Matter movement, she actually wrote a letter to the commissioner saying that she opposes the Black Lives Matter movement and says that, it, in her words, was totally misaligned. This is a quote with the values and goals of the WNBA and the Atlanta dream. So with all of the pain and the struggle uh, involved in, in what had happened over the course of the summer, knowing that you've got this wonderfully supportive coach and, and uh, teammates, and at the same time, the co-owner of the team that you're playing for is saying this, how do you even think about that and how do you respond? I did respond. You know, I responded. Uh, I wrote a letter too. <laughs> I thought since we're <laughs> writing letters, I can write too. Um, And so I wrote a letter and I just was confused. I obviously knew the owner before she started running for Senate. So I just didn't I didn't understand what was the point in the letter anyway. And I just didn't understand why create that division and a sense of you're a woman. And so women, we are women. We know what it's like to be discriminated against. Most women, whether color or not, like doesn't matter the color, you probably felt a little bit discriminated against at your workplace or somewhere. So in my thought process, I'm like, all right, so if we're women and this is a women's league and we should be empowering women, we need a lot of women empowering women. Like write the letter to the NBA commissioner. You know what I mean? They're, they're doing the same thing. I don't know. Like to me, if I see a woman doing well, I'm like, yes, you better. Like I'm excited. When I saw Madam Vice President walk on the stage, it wasn't just because she was a woman of color, even though I love to see black excellence. This was a woman on the biggest stage like that to me we should all as women and and no matter what like partisan nonpartisan, we should all as women be excited for the growth of women and so to me i was just like i tried to make parallels to that i talked about women's suffrage we would have been arm in arm trying to be able to vote 
I had to try. I just tried to just understand because that's again, I'm used to being seeing things differently, but I like to try to understand what people are saying. How do you think your teammates are thinking through the different ways to be involved? You know, some have probably been politically active their whole lives. Others are just arriving at this. What kind of conversations are you having about how each person can find their best way to be active and to make a difference? Every athlete is different. And I think people have to understand that there's some athletes that what whether this is going on right now or not, they're like, look, I'm not really into the politics. Like, And, and there's some athletes that they don't even want to do interviews. Like, so to put it in perspective, it's not just politics. Some athletes don't even like to do interviews. They just want to play basketball. So when they, when you ask them to do an interview, they might not want to do that. And when you ask them to talk about politics or take a stand, they definitely don't want to do that. And it's not because they don't care. It's because some athletes just like to just stay in their own lane and they don't want to have to be outspoken about their beliefs. Then you have some athletes that are very passionate about it. They're very outspoken about it and they want you to know what they think. I think that people have to let athletes be whatever they want to be, you know, because it's like if, if somebody went to your job and was like, hey, do you see what's going on in America? Talk about it. Here's a camera. Tell everybody how you feel. I think a lot of people would feel very uncomfortable with doing that. They would be like, whoa, 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 I'm at work. Chill. Like they would try, they would probably tell them, like, wait a minute. But for athletes, we don't really have that choice. People think that we're obligated to talk and people think that we're obligated to tell our beliefs. People think that we're obligated to just outright take a stand. And there's athletes that say they didn't sign up for that. So I always just try to meet people where they are. So is it fair to say you don't think the players who didn't opt out are making a mistake? No, I don't. I, I don't think. I don't think anybody's obligated to do anything. And I say that in a sense of there's NBA players that opted out for family reasons. There's WNBA players that opted out for health reasons. Whatever reason you opted out, that's your reason. Like, you know, that's that's literally the person saying, I'll take a pay cut because I don't feel comfortable with that situation. Well, what do you, what can you be mad about? They're not, that's their own choice. So I always, yeah. And I said, and I made that known because there was that infamous Kyrie call that everybody heard about where all the NBA players were on the call. They wanted to figure out, do they want to play? There was, there was a lot of discussion debates. The media leaked it and said there was a lot of arguing, but I was on the call and I was, I was excited leaving the call. I was like, wow, these NBA players are serious. Like, and I, I took it in a good way that, wow, there's this many men on the call all from all walks of life trying to figure out what they want to do about the climate that we're in, the civil unrest. Um, obviously, as we know, Kyrie thought that sitting out was the best way to kind of make it felt. But I wasn't mad at the people that took a knee because it was on MSNBC. I was talking on MSNBC about LeBron taking a knee. And I was talking on CNN about George, uh, about the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, one that, so that made an impact. And so I think that there's different ways to go about it. There's no one right way. Are there any other athletes in particular that you think are a model for how to navigate these things and, and how to balance what you do on the court or on the field uh, with what needs to happen out in the world? Yeah, I would say, you know, a good example. And obviously, we all can't be this, but LeBron James. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and before and we all know the more than a vote now, but he's had I promise. You know, he has a whole school already built, already has kids in it, already doing stuff like he already had that before this happened. To let, so that lets you know that he already his mindset was already there. So uh, when this when this situation occurred and the pandemic hit and now everyone all eyes on the election, he already had more than an athlete. So here comes more than a vote. And for me, 
it, it makes sense. And I think it's the right way because we know that he's he's already that guy. You know, like you don't want people to have to do something that they're not. And so I always say, like, for me, I'm going to do every what I'm comfortable with. So if I'm comfortable with doing it, I'm going to do it. But if I'm not, I'm not. And you can just tell that LeBron does things that are he's passionate about. And I think that that's what people should do. You don't have to follow a certain template. Like everyone thinks that you have to be a certain way to be uh, a leader. You have to be a certain way to make an impact. No, do your thing your way and do it in a positive way, I would say. Why do you think athletes get the kind of influence or attention that, that comes with making that decision to step out and, and be active about social or political issues? Is there something about the, the relationship that athletes have with fans? Is it the kind of power of just the visibility alone? What, what do you think makes it such a statement when an athlete like you comes out and says, here's where I stand? You know, that's interesting because a lot of people were asking that as opposed to like entertainers that were speaking out. And I, I really think people understand what it takes to be a professional athlete. I think they understand the sacrifice, the discipline, the leadership, the teamwork, you know, the attributes that it takes. People hold your word at, at a certain heavy weight because they know, well, this is a disciplined person that has made sacrifices in their life and we can trust this. You know, these are disciplined people. These are people that, you know, we carry ourselves and not to say that we like we carry ourselves in a professional manner in a sense that people don't party and stuff. I mean that for our for your body to be a certain percent body fat, for you to wake up at 5 a.m. every day, for you to be that disciplined for that long of a period, I think people trust it. And I think that people, especially basketball, they get they fall in love with the person as well as the 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 player. So that's why if you see a player that was first playing for Miami and then they go to L.A., well, that fan is traveling to L.A. with them because they're not just a fan of Miami. They're a fan of that person. So I think that all that plays into it. What what gives you hope? As you mentioned, your your optimism, even in the face of the challenges that, that we face, what, what do you look to as a source of encouragement and hope that, that helps you believe that the future is going to be better? Yeah, I look for wins. And again, it's probably the athlete in me, but <laughs> in, in sports, I never was like, let's like I would obviously think let's win the game. But I don't think that in the first quarter. In the first quarter, I'm like, let's win the first four minutes. And then after the first four minutes in the first quarter, I'm like, let's win the next four minutes. And then, you know, so that's how I always broke things down. I broke it down into like sections. And so I, I get excited about every single win. Georgia, I get excited about it. Like I get excited that we had a record number of turnout voters when I'm doing things that I want people to vote. So to me, no, I'm not the reason that Georgia turn blue or no, I'm not, but I'm really excited that we had unreal numbers here. And I'm really excited that people were fighting for democracy. And I'm really excited that it went into a runoff because some people said it was going to be a blowout. So I'm excited. That's kind of what keeps me optimistic. It's not that we're working and nothing's happening. I mean, we were working and things are happening. And as we put points on the board, I think it's a, it's a great point that we've got to take that at both as propulsion to do more and as a, a reassurance that, that, that we can find victory. Part of the theme of this podcast is the decade ahead and trying to envision what the 2020s are going to be like. So I wonder if you were looking back on today from 2030, what would you want to believe uh, would have happened in those 10 years? Oh, man, I'm just going to go with the intersectionality of it. So when it comes to racial and gender inequalities, I want us to look back and just I think that it's going to be dramatically different. We have a woman in office. So I think that that's going to be dramatically different. We have a woman of color in office. 
Um, but not only that, we have the NBA, the WNBA. Um, we have leagues that are trying to say they want to buy black businesses. They want to support local businesses. They want to support black. Like we have people having the right conversation. So if I look back in 2030, I would hope to be excited that this wasn't all lip service, that the people right now that are talking about representation, that we look back and we're like, wow, they really meant it. And for the NBA talking about using black vendors and we look back and be like, wow. And for the NFL, they're trying to get uh, management. They're trying to get their management and their upper management together and having minorities and they have the Rooney rule and different things of that nature. I hope we look back and, and are like, wow, remember when they had to do that? And I hope we look back and there's all these women CEOs and we're like, remember a time where that was just not a, a thing across the board? So yeah, I hope to look back at all the lip service that we're doing right now and and know that it was, they made it felt. If there's a, a young woman starting at uh, UConn or or maybe Notre Dame net uh, going into the uh, the fall next year, she's the top of her game in high school, but she's wondering how she's going to measure up. Uh, what's the one thing you want her to know? Work it out, like work it out. Like you'll you'll never know. You'll never know. I was there, and you'll never know. But one thing that people know is that if you put in the work, you'll get results. So. I always say when you're nervous, hit the gym, work it out. When you don't know what's going on, study the film, work it out. But at the end of the day, like athletes, we are in a position where we can control our destiny in a sense of how well you do, how well you play, how well you're prepared. So you better control all your controllables and just work it out. I really admire how Renee spoke about the different types of leadership and how to respond when people have opinions on how to be this way or that way in order to lead. As she's shown, really, leadership comes down to taking a stand about what you believe in and moving the needle on issues you care about most. Sometimes that requires sacrifice. In Renee's case, sacrificing the very opportunity to play professionally that she had done so much to earn. But we saw in this conversation that she has no regrets because she made these decisions based on her values. And there is no question in my mind that she will continue to be a leader of great consequence on and off the court. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.